What's going on, folks? Thanks for joining me for another episode of Duck Gun Podcast. Got my co-host, Elliot, alongside me tonight. How you doing tonight, Elliot? I'm doing pretty good. I'm just sitting here ready to do some talking about waterfowl with all this crap going on. I'm ready for a distraction. I don't know about you. Yep. Always uh, always ready for uh, some waterfowl talk. So uh, <laughs> here for our weekly dose of it, that's for sure. So I'm curious where where do you so I'm on Facebook way more than I should be and I don't I'm not a big Facebook poster because I don't want to get into drama with people and I don't want to be one of those people that thinks they know everything but um it's like you've got people who are just flipping out losing their minds over this thing punching people out for toilet paper you know people think that it's the end times it's the apocalypse and then on the other side you got the guys that are like, you know, this is no worse than the flu. You're all a bunch of sheep, you know. So uh, where, where do you fall in the zone of this virus thing and and uh, what your beliefs or thoughts are on it? Yeah, I mean, you should see this teepee castle I have in my basement. It's like, <laughs> it's like Chuck E. Cheese, but for adults with uh, toilet paper. Nah. <laughs> How many old women did you knock out to get all that? <laughs> all of them. <laughs> like bowling over bowling pins with my cart. <laughs> no, actually, I'm actually down to my last roll of toilet paper. And uh, <laughs> you'd think. So, like, okay, originally when people started doing it, I'm like, all right, all right. Like, there's nothing wrong with the supply chain. I literally, like, Googled it. When we first saw, like, the social media, like, post of people going crazy in, Wal- like, Walmart or wherever, getting all the toilet paper. And I'm like, oh, I don't understand the correlation between this because this doesn't cause, like, diarrhea. Like, that's not one of the symptoms. Like, why are people going out in mass and buying toilet paper? I'm like, well, maybe there's a shortage because toilet paper is probably made in China like everything else. And uh, I did some research, and no, none of those things. And the supply chain's intact. So it's like, okay, there's no reason to go out and mass buy toilet paper. I'm like, I'm just going to wait till everybody's done doing this because this is stupid. And then go buy my toilet paper. Well, people never stopped. And I still don't have <laughs> toilet paper. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so you just going to shave off parts of your beard every time you go? <laughs> no, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's like sacrilegious or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just, so, I mean, I'm just, I, every once in a while somebody tells me, oh, there's toilet paper here or there. But I'm like, I don't know. I'm not in a big rush, I guess. Um, my go-to right now is we got tons of baby wipes from the kids so um you know <laughs> and limit- make sure they're the flushable kind no just put them in the garbage can yeah 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 no that's so my, that's my go-to right now but as far as like to answer your question i know i didn't answer your question there you so, dodged it i didn't I, <laughs> I dodged it i don't know man i don't know what to believe there's so much crap going on like you said and like Everybody and their brother is an expert on coronavirus in the last week. I don't know how that's possible, but everybody and their brother is an expert and has data and graphs and charts and whatever. I'm like, well, I don't know. You know, it's like if it's as bad as they say, then we've got, you know, they're doing their best to flatten the curve and all that. Um, But, you know, the solution can't be worse than the problem. So it's kind of finding the balance on that. In my opinion. Yeah, well, I'm I'm a numbers person, so right from the start, I started researching what's the what is the CDC saying, the Center for Disease Control, because 
they're not a news organization. These are people that have devoted their lives to studying these types of things. And so what is their, what numbers are they putting out? What are their predictions from the worst case to the best case? And, and um, I'm just trying to be a realist about it. And uh, so anytime that I post anything on Facebook, I don't, it, I don't even give commentary. It's like, I will post just numbers, you know, and someone, uh, these guys that are just so mad that think you're all sheep and it's just the same as the flu. Those guys get on my nerves. Not, not necessarily because the content, of what they're saying, it's the aggression in which they're saying it with. So, um, I posted some numbers just based on calculations from the CDC and I didn't give any commentary to it. This is on a thread because someone was saying something and they were being kind of stupid. I just posted the numbers. And the guy literally told me to quit being so dramatic <laughs> and, and that I was a sheep. <laughs> I'm like, dude, I didn't even say anything. I'm posting straight mathematic numbers based on data and I'm not giving you a commentary. And, and guys like that are really, really annoying. It's just over. And I, I do understand where the overaggression comes from because, you know, the whole run on toilet paper and getting in fights at Walmart, I do think that a lot of that is sheep behavior where it's like, you know, everyone here is, oh, I need toilet paper. So everyone just bab out, they follow. I do, I do get that. I do get the sheep thing. But at the same time, there's some people that just kind of have their head in the sand about this thing. Um, you know, it's, there are some very, very serious implications to this. Um, no, none of which I'm, I'm not afraid of dying myself. I mean, the percentage of the death rates really, really low and, and I don't have any complications. So I'm not afraid of dying, but the complications of what's in society and the hospitals is not some thing that, you know, the media is just making up. I mean, a lot of this is like, we're in a, we're in a tough time right now. And people just need to kind of on both sides of, of the, the thought lines on this, people just need to relax a little bit and quit being so aggressive. I'll say the biggest surprise for me though, going into it, like when it first started, we first started hearing reports about it. And then like, it seemed like almost out of nowhere, it became political. And I'm like, why is this, why is a, di a disease of all things political? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like there was yes. literally party lines and it was, for me, that was almost shocking. Maybe it shouldn't have been, but at first, like people are saying this is left thinking and right thinking on it. I'm like, why is there left or right thinking on a disease? You know what I mean? It was just, for mm -hmm. me, it was just super surprising how almost out of nowhere, it just became a left and right issue. Yeah. That's really, really annoying for sure. I mean, nothing, and I'm not a huge Trump guy. I'm not anti-Trump. I'm mildly indifferent. I'm certainly conservative on the conservative side of things, but Trump's a polarizing figure. But doesn't he could like blink wrong, and it would be his fault at this point. And my parents are quick to bring that up to me, but then I'm quick to bring it up to them. It's like I was not. I was not a big Obama supporter. I, I mean, I wasn't. I didn't hate the guy. Uh, I didn't vote for him, but. Um, everything he did, the Republicans were the same way. He couldn't do anything without people criticizing him up one side and down the other. And it is surprising that, that during this time it's because I remember after, after nine 11, the, the days after that attack was the only time I ever remember where like total unification from everybody, um, it, I don't remember how long it lasted, but it certainly, you could feel it. Um, and it, it would be nice if we had a little bit of that around yeah. now i guess yeah. people aren't afraid enough from the outside sources I, th I think that's when you get that it's like when people really become afraid of outside threats is when you get that unity 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think people are there yet, but it would be nice because, it, man, it gets old seeing people just uh, fight about it and being political. It's so annoying. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just, yeah, I don't know, definitely an interesting one or a tough one. Um, you know, it does feel like more and more, though, it's harder to sort out all the misinformation from the actual information online. Mm -hmm. Well, every day what I'm looking at are just the rate of increase, the daily numbers of the U.S. and some of the other countries, how much we gained in a day, what the death rate is, um, and how quickly it's doubling. Those are the numbers that I'm looking at um, every single day. And the thing that encourages me is that if you believe the numbers, China is out of the worst of this thing. And they only had 3,000 die. I mean... And I mean, they went through the isolation thing and the social distancing. And I think our numbers are going to end up larger than theirs. But I mean, if they came out of it that quick, if we come out of this thing with only with like, you know, even 10 to 15,000 deaths in America, that would be a win that because then it is just like the flu. If that's what we end up with is 10 to 20,000 deaths. And on on a on a really bad year, you can have 80,000 deaths to the flu on a really, really bad year. Um, so I mean, if we come out of this with just like 20,000 deaths and I don't want to minimize those deaths, but if that's how it ends, then I'd say that's a, a good scenario for us. That would be fine. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, definitely crazy. But I, I think, you know, in the end it's like, um, which again, you can't minimize death and all that. I mean, death happens every day. Um, the flu season every year and you definitely don't want to minimize that. But it, it, at some point it's like, they got to look at the numbers of the solution, you know, is the solution worse than the problem? Yeah. So, I mean, it is that, that's a tough place to be in, and I'm glad I don't have to make those type of decisions because at this point it feels like with everything shutting down, our economy is just getting pummeled. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, and you just worry about the after effects and how long that's going to be as far as, you know, what's what's to come. And so – we always hope for the best, and I'm really hoping that the timeline they put together on this, that it's, you know, there are, that our economy is not shut down for <laughs> longer than it has to be. So, Yeah, that is the scary part. That That's one of the scariest parts of it is yeah. what is going to, once this cools down, what is it going to be like in America even yeah. after the virus just based on the economy? I mean, if you watch movies about what is happening during the Great Depression, it was a really, really bleak scenario for a lot of people. Yeah, and, and I think that—that's the scariest part of it to me. Yeah, I think the biggest—I mean, I don't know what what the biggest is, but the thing I think about a lot is small businesses are really, really going to get hurt from this. So, I mean, the mm-hmm. big corporate companies—they're going to be fine. Obviously, obviously, the the rich and the wealthy will still be rich and wealthy. Um, but you know, where is everybody else going to be at? That'll be a, a yeah. good good thing to see is everybody coming out all right on it so we'll see doom and gloom (laughs) (laughs) we're living through it right now i guess um and i i don't know from i think for the most part it hasn't really hit people um and i think that you know we'll see in the near future (laughs) i just wish this all would have happened in the fall and the winter (laughs) quite honestly but I'm I'm off for a long time. I just wish it would have happened then. That would be my one thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Probably a bit selfish. 
But a, a silver lining on a bad situation would have been to be able to duck hunt more, right? <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. All right, well, let's go ahead and uh, give a quick word to um, thank our partners for the podcast. So first off, I'd like to give a big thanks out to Banded Avery Greenhead Gear. Um, definitely been awesome to have them on board for last season and on to this season as well. Um, one of my favorite products from them is the Hard Shell Backpack Blind Bag. Um, it's got two compartments, one up top and one below. And, I mean, I'll probably never go back to a blind bag after using that backpack. It's kind of a mid-range backpack. It's not giant. It's not got a ton of ton of space, but it's got a lot more space than any of the blind bags I used before. Lots of outside pockets as well as a big bottom pocket. Uh, and then I put all my stuff readily available right there at the top. Um, in that pocket. So definitely make sure to check out Bandit. I know they got some sweet off-season deals right now, um, or at least in, in the last week or so. I've seen that they had their Bandit 2.0 waders 40% off. So still a deal. Keep an eye on them, Bandit.com. You can check out all their gear over there. I'm going to tell you about HTR Innovations, which is Hunter Innovations. Um, let me tell you the product code right up front here for 10% off and free shifting, sh- free shipping. It's Duck Space Gun, capital D, capital G. That's Duck Gun. Got um, A-frames and layout pads and gun stand and what's called a quack pack, which is basically a, it's kind of a cross between a layout pad, a layout blind, and a um, waterfowl carrying or a decoy bag. So it's a really, really good product. As I've said before, the layout pad is my abs and the A-frame are the two that I am just absolutely in love with. But go on and look at these products. Um, great time to start thinking about gearing up for the fall and go take a look at what they've got and, and give them our support. Awesome. All right. And also, we got to give a, thing, a big thanks out to you guys, the listeners, the viewers, and... Uh, fans of the podcast without you guys you are the definitely the backbone of the podcast um and we couldn't do it without you it's just definitely awesome to have you guys supporting us week in week out coming and listening and viewing and and uh you know giving us your feedback through the the reviews on um itunes so definitely appreciate you guys and let's go ahead and jump into the podcast hey guys i'm jordan fromer I believe in hunting hard, hunting smart, and having a fun time while doing it. And shooting limits? Well, that's just the icing on the cake. I revel in the journey just as much as the successes it brings. From ducks to dogs to decoys and guns, we'll be talking tactics, strategies, and what it takes to get the job done. Load up and take aim. This is the Duck Gun Podcast. What's going on, folks? What's going on, folks? Thanks for joining me for another episode of the Duck Gun Podcast. I'm Jordan from Duck Gun Chronicles. Got my gray-bearded co-host alongside me tonight. How you doing, Elliot? I'm doing pretty good. You ready to... Done with the virus stuff? You ready to talk some ducks and geese? <laughs> oh, yes. Definitely ready for that. So today's topic, we're actually going to be talking about our off-season goals. Um, so, man, it's already, uh, you know, almost all the way through March. And I don't know about for you, but this off season's already starting to fly by for me. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I'm cleaning stuff out, trying to sell stuff. Yeah, it's training Georgie. It's rolling. Awesome. 
Yeah. So I know, I think for me, you, when you talk about duck depression, and that's something you hear from hunters almost all the time. So um, you getting any uh, spurts of duck depression yet? You know, I was talking to my wife about this um, before I did the whole YouTube filming all the hunts and everything. When hunting season was over, I was just really immediately felt like I was just like February has always been my least favorite month ever. And I always sunk into uh, an actual depression. But now that I don't something about doing all the filming and all the YouTube stuff and all the editing when I get done with the season now, I feel a sense of relief. Um, and I, I mean, just, it's like rest. It's like, I need rest. And it's really, really nice to start just not worrying about editing videos and not getting up every single Saturday at one to 3 AM. And so I, I'm, I, I'm in recuperation mode still. I mean, if there was something to be hunted, I promise you, or as far as waterfowl, I'd still be going because the, my motor just doesn't seem to turn off with it. But I, I'm, you know, I'm more time with my family, more time to just relax, you know, between all my regular job and then the podcast and then YouTube and then ducking, it's a lot. And so, no, I don't have depression. I'm really, well, and this is the first off season now that I've lived in September, we moved out into the country. So we're doing work out here on our property and, and clearing out trees and, I'm in open space, taking walks in the country. So I, I'm, I'm loving every second right now. I'm not, I, I have not, I do not, I do not have that depression, honestly. Awesome. That's yeah. I'm honestly in a pretty similar space too. And it's like you said, like with everything we do from the podcast to filming and I mean, just hitting it hard through the season. Um, I can't remember the exact number, 52 days or whatever it was. I got out the season. I mean, we're hitting it hard. I know there's people that hit it harder, but um with all the filming editing podcasts and all that it's like you said it's almost like uh you know you need some time to recoup and re mm -hmm. revive yourself um the other thing is um you know with how busy we get th during season and this kind of goes on to like a, a little bit of a separate subject but uh um you always got to get those brownie points you always got to be earning those brownie points and so um one thing i always try to do is hit it just as hard you know during uh the off season i have this list <laughs> You know, for for lack of a better term, uh, honey do list. But it's just all the projects I got to get done, and there's so many mm -hmm. things I got planned, and and not only that, but things for me too. You know, uh, and that's kind of where we get to our off season goals. You know, um, and those are the things. You know, I got my honey do list, which is like the landscaping and you know fixing this or that that broke, and we just get so busy. A lot of times uh, that gets kind of put off to off season. So this time of year. I'm always um, doing my best to hit it hard to get all those things done and then work on all my off-season goals, which we don't have time to work on during season. I will say also, um, anytime I start missing waterfowl hunting, having all those hunts, I mean, I've got last five, every single hunt I went on except for two over the last five years on video. So if I do start missing a little bit, I just go watch some of my favorite memories, basically. And that really, really does it. So I still have been peeking at some of my old videos of my favorite hunts and stuff anytime I feel like that late at night. And that really, really does help. <laughs> it really, you're right. It does. It does. Do you do that? Do you, are you in the, like, when's the last time you watched some of your old hunts? Um, been a couple, it's probably been a, a week or two, but I do. Yeah. I, I, every once in a while I, I click on one and watch it, you know? Mm-hmm. 
And that's really, that's what it was all about for me to start with is having these hunts recorded so that I could have memories of them. And, yeah. and I continue to, I watched after the last few days, I watched those last two mallard hunts that I went on um, right at the end of the season where we did so well and just relived those. And that really, really helps with the depression. Yeah, for sure. Definitely can agree on that. <laughs> but yeah, I guess let's go ahead and uh, jump into our, our off-season goals then. So I'll let you go first on, on your first one. Okay. Well, my first one is since we moved out here in September, I moved all of my waterfowl equipment and there was a bunch of it that I just could not bring myself to part with. And it went down into the basement. So I, my wife has given me, I've got a big garage. It's got <laughs> two car garage plus space. And she has basically given that whole thing to me. One side is kind of tools and, and stuff, but I mean, I've, I filled it. And so the excess went down into the basement into this pile. So one of the projects that we're working on is our basement is half finished and we, it was totally unfinished. We moved in here and we put in two rooms for two of my boys. We've got a ping pong table down there and a lot of my gear just kind of started being <laughs> overwhelming the place. So I have gone all through that and I've started to say, I've got to get rid of a bunch of this stuff. So I'm looking into to trying to get rid of a bunch of my stuff. In fact, right now I've got um, six dozen of my white rocks uh, floating decoys for sale on Facebook. And I've got some active. Did you know that they're not selling those anymore, by the way, those are no longer for sale. Yep. I didn't realize that, but I don't. I wonder why they decided to not sell those. Anyway, I've got six dozen of those for sale. I've got. Um, I'm gonna part with my old layout boat, which I called Old Green, and I don't get sentimentally attached to things very often, but I am sentimentally attached to this layout boat. I'm gonna sell that, and I'm just cleaning out a bunch of crap. And I may end up if I can't get it sold on Facebook Marketplace. I'm gonna um, once this whole crap blows over, I'm gonna have a huge waterfowl sale because I got a lot of stuff that I just have got to, I've got to free myself of some of this stuff. Yeah, that's a real problem. Good problem to have, to be honest. <laughs> it's a good right? problem to have, yeah. I mean, those those White Rock um, decoys, they only got used for one year. And I've had people ask me, you know, so did you not like them? And, um, you know, it's not that I didn't, well, I will say this. I, I, like, I like the Pool 7. Because they were um, not collapsible and weighted keels, I did not like the Nomads because they were not weighted keels and they would flip over in the wind. So, but you could easily turn the Nomads into the Pool Sevens. So I did like I did like the Nomads, and but when you know when we moved over to the banded and green edge gear stuff, um, started using all that and just it's an excess. And I still have my we still have I mean I probably have ten to twelve dozen duck decoys before not including the six dozen from from yep. uh, white rock so uh, it's a good deal i'm selling six dozen for 150 bucks but people want me to ship and it's like gosh that's gonna be a pain in the butt shipping six dozen decoys those things are big you know they take up a lot of space they're yeah. like almost a magnum so i'm i'm trying to sell them without shipping but we'll see if i can get that done yeah so that's definitely a kind of um on the same lines as one of mine so i'll just i'll just uh hit mine up on the same same time as you um but yeah i got like i got an organization problem in my garage where 
Um, I have a two-car garage, too, but it, it's pretty tight, and I'm trying to make it where my wife can park in there because I feel bad, like, just taking the whole garage up for mm -hmm. waterfall yeah. stuff. But, like, the thing is it's so disorganized because I have too much stuff in there that um, eventually it kind of overflows into her side and she can't park in there. So <laughs> I tried to make a system this year where I had, like, shelving in the middle and then her car over there and uh, decoys hanging from the ceiling and everything. And I thought it was going to be sweet, but then it just ended up, um, like, once I, like, brushed in everything, like uh, the, the 360 solo blind and the two HDRA frames and, um, you know, blankets for the quack pack and then decoys and sleds and everything. And it just ended up where, like, I just didn't have enough space for all of it. And it all mm -hmm. kind of flooded over to the other side. And the problem, big pro part of the problem is my shelving in the middle isn't big enough for decoys to sit on. So I'm going to scrap that idea. I just need to, like, back everything out of there um here soon and kind of re-figure it out and probably make some you know buy some plywood and uh some two by fours and start building so but it's like where did i put all that junk while i do that my backyard's gonna look like a waterfowl garage sale like you said <laughs> <laughs> yeah so because it's not like that's like not a project that i mean hopefully you can get it done on a saturday but you gotta figure it like i don't, I don't even have it figured out like barely you know what i mean and yeah. the other part of it, too, is when I back all that out, um, I'm also building Chief a kennel on the side of the house. And I actually have the the chain link up and the, the gates and everything. So he's got, like, a, a 5 by 30, maybe 5 by, like, 25, I don't know the exact measurements, um, kennel that's connected to the side of the garage. And I'm actually going to put a doggy door in and then, um, like, uh, dog boxes on the inside. So then I can have uh, it set up for like two dogs and then an outside kennel. So they both can come in the garage and get out and and then I can feed them in there and everything. And then also then get out to the kennel. So when I back everything out of that, I need to build that part too inside the garage um, to get all that figured out. So yeah, do you do you ha do you hang anything from the rafters or from the ceiling at all? Yeah, I probably have like I don't know seven or eight dozen floaters hanging there mm -hmm. right now and honestly they're just in the way because it's like my garage is blocked off by the shelving so i literally have to like bulldoze through decoys to get to the other half of my garage so yeah. honestly it's been a <laughs> a pretty bad solution at this point so yeah you might have to look into a storage shelter or a storage not shelter but um space yeah well i can i got a, a back shed with like my lawnmower and everything in there so mm. I might just either I'm going to do what you did and sell some of the, the non-essential items or just start storing some of that stuff back there. But it's already got, like, a bunch of tree stands and stuff that I didn't even use this year in there. So it's like I'm compiling a bunch of hunting stuff that I definitely don't always use. So, yeah, I'm definitely going to be selling some of it, like you said. Um, but, yeah, yeah. The, big, the big thing about that is just getting it organized in a way where I can hunt and then come back and put it there, but it doesn't, like – impede me from getting to the rest of the stuff because everything's piled up and then it ends up kind of piling on my wife's side so yeah you know, that's the goal on that and then Chief's well, i'm lucky my garage is so big because my wife if she actually can um if i have it organized and clean she can still come in and park it's a big space yeah that's awesome yeah no i think i've seen pictures of it honestly you had a pretty big garage in your last house too yeah, I've been really blessed. Yeah, I did. I've been really blessed with 
with that kind of space because I remember there was a time where I was hunting out of an apartment and I had boats up. I was on the third floor of this apartment complex and I had little boats hanging off there and <laughs> it was not good. One little <laughs> tiny closet in my balcony is what I had. <laughs> Oh, wow. I've put in my time. I've put in my time. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah, I need something like that, but who knows? I'm actually pretty yeah. happy with my progress. I'm getting on my my uh with my minimal space, so mm-hmm. but yeah. uh I'll definitely I'm making a video on the whole process. Probably I should have made a video. I should have made a video on when we cleaned out the garage. I guess my next one is tagged onto this one a little bit. It's just organization. I took, I did take before and after pictures of my garage clean out, but man, it took hours to get, get my garage completely cleaned out. And a lot of it's just sweeping it out from all of, you know, from all the A-frame um, brushing and the boat brushing. It's like all of that raffia and then natural stuff just ends up getting everywhere and then dirt and leaves. And man, it took me a whole day to get that garage cleaned and organized um i did that project before i even started on the excess stuff in the basement but also i'm gonna we've i've got in my possession one two three four five um small boats two h12s um what's the what's the one we got this year the little canoe old town old town 119 i've got dan's old um boat still and then i've got old green so i've got five and um, we're going to start hanging. I'm going to sell one or two. And we're going to start hanging them from the rafters. Because um, we have, the. there's no ceiling in, in the garage. It's just like two by fours. Or, and yeah. um, so we're going to get pulleys and and start hanging those to even make a little more space. So that's going to happen soon. But things are coming along really well as far as just my overall organization. All my clothes are in the same spot. All my little corner where all my small pieces are all fully organized. I've got the bulk of it done. My dad brought a bunch of tools with him um, from their house because I don't know if I've made this public. My parents now actually live in my backyard in their camper because they sold their house and I live in the back. So we've got to organize all his tools. So organization and selling stuff, that's all balled into one. That is going to be the whole thing's going to be an ongoing, ongoing task. Nice. Yeah, definitely. Uh, sounds like you got a good, a good setup there. So I'm, I'm a little jealous, but I'll try. Not to. <laughs> uh, do you want to jump to your next one? Sure. Um, the next one I've got is just buying new equipment that I and there's not a there's not a lot of new equipment that I really have my eyes on. I really need a pair of wader boots um, that are a little bit thicker. I've got just real thin plastic ones, but um, and I've got my eye on a pair from Bandit, and then I need some new camo pants. I'm looking to get a new gun case, and I would really, really like to get a new shotgun. I don't know if that's going to happen or not, um, but right now I've got my Beretta A300 Outlander, and I've got a Mossberg 500. It's like 30-year-old pump. That So I really, for me and the boys, I really only have one decent shotgun. So I really am kind of, kind of like to maybe look into getting a new shotgun as well. So it's just kind of, those are really the only things I have on my, Oh no, there's more. I want to get, if I, I want to try to get some more goose decoys, I, I've got um, all the socks and the silhouettes from um, white rock. And I love those. I would love to get some shells to go with it. And 
if I could get some full bodies, I'd be okay. But really, just nice shells. Because like on an ice hole, like on the last one I went to, if you have a couple dozen shells and then you've got, you know, half dozen to a dozen floaters, that's really all that you need in a situation like that. Or even like on a sandbar or something, which is where I do my goose hunting. So those are all the new things on my want-to-get list. Yeah. Now that's definitely – I actually didn't have that one on my list, but that's definitely a good thing to think about, you know, especially while I'm cleaning up my garage. Uh, you know, know, for me, the number one thing that I always kind of it's, – it's my own fault, though, but I always have issues with at the end of the season. It feels like um, my – like uh, – uh, my robo ducks like uh, Mojo's and, and Lucky Duck. Mm-hmm. I'm always mm-hmm. having issues with those. Like whether it's my own fault from like water damage or uh, like uh, you know last year Chief chewed up some some of the wings. Um, you know little things like that. And it's like I bought four motion ducks this season, and somehow I lost one. I lost the wings for two of them. <laughs> so I have like one working motion duck and I bought four brand new. So it's like, what, 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 what brand are they? I bought lucky duck. Okay. I was going to say, I've got some extra wings, but not lucky duck. You don't, you don't have a extra lucky duck. Do you? I know we got a lucky duck right at the end of the year. Um, that's, and that's the one I've got, but I've got okay. some, um, um, what's the other company? Mojo. Gotcha. Yeah, I don't know how or when I lost one, but I lost one this season, and it was sometime around when we did the Flyways Collective. Hmm. I don't know if I lost it right before that, and then I was gone for five days and couldn't, like, or if it fell out of my truck when I was traveling because I had so much gear on that trip. Mm -hmm. So for whatever reason, I lost one then, and then the second one stopped working with the remote um, because it got water damage, and you can buy, like, a, you know, the innards for that. And then I bought two more, and I lost the. I left the wings out on one of the hunts. Someone chucked them in the brush because we pulled them. Yeah. They, they chucked the wings into the brush, and they got lost. So. <laughs> That's expensive. I know. I know. So my solution is I got to buy one of those, like, the, the backpacks they have for them because mm-hmm. either they get damaged or whatever. And the damage is usually because it's, like, riding in a canoe that has water or a boat or something like that, you know? Yeah. Um, for me anyways. So that, that's my big issue on that. So I got to figure out my, my, uh, Mojo lucky duck game for this next season and not burn through them. Like they're inexpensive. Like you're saying. So yeah, four in a season. That's, that's not good at all. That's, that's terrible. <laughs> so yeah, I'm, I'm like, I'm super upset that I'm going to have to buy more, but you know, whatever. Yeah. That's how it goes, right? Yeah. So, um, my next uh, big off-season goal is, man, I really, really want to up my uh, my filming game for next season. So, I got plans for that. I'm going to dump quite a bit of money into new gear and uh, and get to practicing on some of these trout fishing trips and um, you know, still had still had salmon, all that up to duck season. I want to be like proficient by then. Um, but I don't know. I'm just really, really want to up the quality of it, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. kind of overall. So I think you know, a big step in that is up in your uh, your 
your gear as well. So that's my uh, one of my off-season goals. I, I almost pulled the trigger on a drone. Um, I saw a commercial. It was a really, really good commercial. It's on YouTube recently. I don't know if you've seen it about this guy that worked at this drone company and then he got fired and it's, it's a really interesting story. Um, and he's selling this drone. Basically he claims he got fired from the company because they worked really hard to make this inexpensive, really rugged, tough drone. And then new management came in they wanted to just make a really cheapy, cheapy one. And he wouldn't give up quality. So they fired him. So he went to a side company and now he's making this drone and it's, it's under a hundred dollars. It's been on sale. And, uh, man, after watching the whole thing, I, I may pull the trigger on one. Um, there's only certain places I could use it because some of the public places around here you can't use, but it would be really cool when it's used. Um, yeah. I actually um, saw and the same small. commercial. Mm-hmm. And I did some research, and, it, and I feel like that drone and the whole commercial is like a scam. Really? Ah, oh, that sucks. <laughs> That's a great commercial, man. It is too. It's very, very believable. Like it sucked me in with the story and everything, but then I went and did like review, watch review videos of it, and people did side by side comparisons of it, and it's just garbage footage. Ah, uh, well, I, I well, I may still price. What what can I? What would I have to pay to get a decent drone? $500. Well, there goes that idea. Because I've got to, I have to get a new GoPro. My GoPro is garbage. And I don't use a, I have to, it's terrible. Um, But, and I I don't use that much GoPro footage, but when I do, I don't want it to look like it looks now, which is horrible. So I'm definitely going to do that for sure. I'm going to do that. You got to. You're right. so I doubt I've got another four or five hundred dollars in there for a drone, but that's too bad. That's too bad. Another um, I was gonna say is I'm working with. I'm really excited because I'm working with Yak Gear, um, which is also what's their other company name? I don't. It's the YakGear.com is the, but the company's Rail Blaza. I don't remember if you remember. I don't know if you remember. I got a layout blind. Yep. And and we're not sponsored by these guys at all, so this is not really a plug. I'm just excited about it. Um, but it, it was a layout line for um, the old town that I tried to use. Um, and I used it once, and there was a lot of issues with it. There was a, They were trying to make it where um, the, the, the redhead blind has a lot of metal framework inside of it, and they're, they're trying to make a blind that's a lot lighter and one that you can just put on and take off and that doesn't have any really hard metal structures inside of it. And the one the one that they sent me to test out, uh, man, it just had a lot of issues with it. So I got to talking with um, the, my contact person over there, Jason, and, and he asked me if I would kind of come on board and be a consultant and a tester with him. So we've been on the phone. Well, we, we spent quite a bit of time about a month and a half ago talking on the phone, talking about different ways to improve it and everything. And, and, um, they're going to implement a lot of the changes that, um, I asked them to make and I'm going to get that next protocol and I'm going to get to test that. And that whole process is really cool. It's really fun. And I cannot wait to get something in my hands where they've used a lot of my ideas um, as the field tester. And so then we'll be putting that product. And I'm sure I'll talk about that on my YouTube channel 
Um, but I, it's just really cool. And I'm getting a little bit, I think I'm getting like 10% of every sale or something like that. So I'm getting a little kickback from it, but this is, I actually had a hand in the design of it, which I've never done anything like that before. So within the next like month, a, there's what's that? It's like a dream for you. Like, yeah. Yeah. People, uh, people agreeing with every suggestion you have. I mean, really? Yeah. I mean, he didn't, he did not take every suggestion, but, um, I, I was you know, they wanted me to be very, very honest. And that last one, I, it was just really, really pain in the butt to use. And so, um, you know, the suggestions I came up with, I think are going to be really cool. And I think it's going to be a good product. So I should get that new prototype um, within a month or so, depending on this, what's going on on the planet with all this crap. And then we'll test that out, maybe do some more changes. So I'm really excited about it. I've never been through a process like that. And hopefully I can continue to work with this company. It's kind of exciting. I don't know if I'd even told you about that, had I? Um, yeah, I think you told me originally, but there's definitely some more updates on it from what you told yeah. me originally. But the whole process has been really cool. So awesome. uh, that's certainly in my in my eyesight moving forward this summer. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so kind of, I'll, I'll just uh, pick one that kind of goes almost uh, a little bit similar to yours on that, but um, for me, one thing I got to do this off season is brush everything in. And that includes my, my layout blind, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> from everything, you know, everything would be, um, my quack packs, my boat, um, the layout blind, the pan, the 360 solo blind, um, just everything. I need it all to be brushed in chiefs, Mo Marsh as well. It's really a lot of stuff to brush in, but the problem is there's so many times where it's like the night before we're just figuring out the hunt. And if you don't have like your A-frame all the way brushed in already, then sometimes that just takes it off the table. Like, oh, this would be great to use our A-frame. Well, it's not brushed in and it's 10 o'clock the night before the hunt. You're just, you know what I mean? You're not going to be doing it then. So, um, and I know you already do this, Elliot, but I haven't necessarily done it. Uh, to an extent where it's kind of all together. I'll have it like, oh, this everything kind of has like a base layer, but I'd like to do everything all the way mm -hmm. um, good to go, you know, from everything I mentioned, you know. And my big thing is I've actually started doing at the end of the season. I actually tried it out on the HDRA frame. Um, one of our last hunts, I uh, zip-tied all the brush onto the um, stubble straps. I don't know if anybody else does that, but I – I literally took zip ties and zip tied um, all the natural vegetation that we used. We cut down from the side of the road, made it into little bundles, stuffed it in the holes, and I took a zip tie around it and, and zip tied it. And then um, from that hunt to the next hunt, uh, everything was still in there. So um, that's one of my goals, have everything brushed and zip tied, and hopefully it lasts for a large majority of the season, and I'll have everything ready to go. So if I need it, if that's an option, it's ready. So it's it's like you said, Elliot, you've said this before, like we want to have as many tools in our belt for every situation that comes up. Well, almost to go um, along with that, those tools have to be ready to go or else you're going to miss out on that opportunity or you're going to pick the easier path because, you know, it's two months into the season, you're tired, you're a little bit lazy, and <laughs> maybe you don't want to brush that in, and that definitely happens. So – uh, my whole goal is to get everything ready and, and, you know, take away those excuses from me and be more efficient all season long because of it. Yeah, I can definitely relate. Um, we did not brush the A-frame until, like, December. 
and we didn't use it till December. <laughs> and then once, once it was brushed, surprise, surprise, we used it a couple times. So yeah, I, I, certainly I dropped the ball on on that. And it cost us a couple hunts at Corn's Pond where I would have taken the A-frame and I didn't because just like you said, it's like oh man, it's not brushed. So. Certainly. And um, I've never zip tied natural vegetation, but we zip tie raffia grass as a base layer. So we've done that on um, our um, redhead blind attachments where you just do a sporadic base layer with raffia where you zip tie it. And then when you get to the hunt site, when you do have to brush in, it takes, you know, if you, half the time. It really, really saves a lot of time and a lot of rebrushing. So um, I would certainly, those of you that are like brushing is a pain in the butt, that's a great way to do it. And uh, there's no reason why the natural wouldn't work um, just fine. Um, I do, when you get, I, I, one thing that's nice about raffia is if you get a lot of really dark greens, um, then you can use it during teal season and early season. And then that, that raffia fades fast. And so by the time you get into bigger duck season, that dark green is going to fade into more of a, a lighter brown. Um, and that is one way of having your colors change throughout time. But I certainly zip tying them in is going to save you a bunch of time. That's a, a must do. I, I am not motivated to do that. I do not like storing equipment in my garage that has a bunch of brush on it. Cause man, it gets everywhere. It just, it's like, it gets everywhere. I hate that. Well, that's a good one. Um, my, my other one to move into is just training Georgie. This is actually my number one off-season goal is to get Georgie, who is my 10, she's 10-month-old 10 pup from Flatlander Kennels, get her ready for hunt number one um, teal season. And I'm kind of thinking what I might do is try to go into Nebraska to hunt the weekend before but not even buy a license and just go and take Georgie because I, I would much rather put down a gun the whole entire hunt and work her then and maybe by the second weekend i might be able to shoot a little bit uh, because that's going to be another challenge for me I, i've got to film and train georgie so i I'll, I'll tell you i'm going to put georgie is the number one priority over filming so hopefully my dad will be able to come out with me and he can kind of take the camera and i can work georgie but it's going to be she is my number one goal and so right now um uh, the shot collar comes in tomorrow and so I've got her up to the point where there's other things I could be working on, but um, I need to collar condition her and I'm using Freddie King videos to do that properly. And then right when that's done, I'm going to force fetch her. And so, and from then on, man, once I get those two things, it's going to be pedal to the floor, fly, flying, going through that meat dog um, video list. Um, and I'm embarrassed to say, but man, Georgie is, had a, terrible she has been really pissing me off lately man so do you remember that video i did where she ran I, uh, I was doing long retrieves and she ran off me and i tried to dive at her and i rolled over like an idiot did you see that um i don't think so i don't know how i missed that one when oh was man that? it's georgie vlog five or six um, i think it's georgie vlog six we took her out and i was trying to extend her extend her retrieves and on about the fourth retrieve she decided that she was going to go pup mode and just not bring it back to me and run from me. Oh, and, yeah, yeah, I've seen that. <laughs> and so she came really close to me, and I tried to dive at her, and I fell down and rolled over. I looked like a complete idiot. 
So that's she in her whole training career. She's only done that a couple of times where she and where we've been training. Now she's gotten out in the backyard where she's done that, where she gets off a leash, she gets away and she won't come back. And she's and one time she got a hold of a duck when I was cleaning ducks and she did that with just like, you know, you can just see it in her eyes. She's like, oh, screw you, man. This is fun. Come and get me. And she wants you to chase her. And so she has done that in the backyard a few times. She's only done that training maybe like one one or two times ever once on video. And so the training has been going so well. So this early this week or last week, you know, last week we decided we were going to work um, on my dad's dog Candy and Georgie at the same time. And we're going to work on Georgie honoring Candy. And so we took him up into the field and the first day, and she did pretty good. She broke one time, um, but she did pretty good. She's being a little bit more vocal than I would like. Second time we took her up the next day and same thing. We had Candy and Georgie. We had them on stands and about Georgie's second retrieve, she decided she was going to do that again where she's got the bumper and she won't come back to me. And she's running around and she holds it by the rope and like swings it around and jumps all like she's playing and, and she just won't listen. She just won't listen. And it's so frustrating. I mean, I just want to kill her. And actually that's the worst because Freddie, you know, I kind of pushed Freddie King when we had him on about, you know, how much can I actually get my hands on this dog and punish him? And <laughs> Freddie basically nicely said, sometimes you got to let him have it. Right. Is that, that's what I got from Freddie. Was I, was I off base there? Was that, what was the question? Well, I said that I was oh, pushing was Freddie that King. Is that what you said? I think that's what Freddie basically answered me and that sometimes you got to show him who's boss and get real yeah, serious I, with I, him. If I remember it right, he said, um, like if they know what, what they're doing is something that you're telling them not to, then that's when you can do that. Yeah. And you know, because all of the videos you watch, it's all about positive praise, positive praise, positive praise. And so, and I'm all into that, but I, but there's, I wanted to push Freddie on, is there a time and place for you to really let them have it? And the answer I got from Freddie was yes. So, and Georgie absolutely knew that she was being bad. I mean, absolutely. She was being so defiant. And so, man, when I got a hold of her, man, I flipped her on her back. And I don't, like, punch or kick, but I will do face slaps. Um, it's not hurting them. It's just yelling no, got her on her back, slapping her face. I really went after her. And I told my dad, it's like, okay, shock collar is – I actually talked to Chris Jobman. And I'm like, should I, should I keep trying to honor – um, working on honoring with her or should I not? And Chris was like, wait till you get the shot collar, take her through the um, training and the force fetch. And then you'll have more tools in your belt. To, if she does that, you'll have the shot collar and you have more tools in your belt to actually deal with it. So I'm like, okay, cool. So all I've been working on her with the last three or four days is just sitting and staying. And I've actually had a stopwatch and I go out in the yard and I, I just, I try to, I'm trying to extend her sitting and staying. I've got her, you know, she's doing like two minutes right now, which I want to get her up to like a full 15 or something. But, and so I'm like, you know what? We've got this little pond on our property. I know if I just do water retrieves with her, it's going to be fine in water. She's not going to run away. And so I did three or four water retrieves. Everything's cool. And then I'm like, I wonder if I just throw one over here and land it right on the edge of the water, you know, cause it's in some cattails. And I threw in some cattails. She went down and, and got out of the cattails. And sure enough, she pulled that same crap. She's like literally running by me, taunting me. She's like full blast running past me. 
And then she stops and looks at me, comes the other way. And she's so fast. I'm like, okay, don't dive. Don't dive. Try to ignore her. Try to ignore her. So then what I did is I went and I got Izzy. And I'm like, okay, you know what? I'm just going to do some water work with Izzy. She's, she's old, but she can still do water work. And as soon as I started doing that, then Georgie was like, um, all right, now I want to do it. So now she came up. I grabbed her, put her on a leash, and just made her watch. I got I had my dad get Candy out. And I made her sit there on a leash, watch Georgie and or Izzy and Candy do about 10 water retrieves each. <laughs> she just had to watch. She was not happy. And so... And then I took her in and put her in her kennel and left her. I was so pissed off at her. So long think, way to say that my Georgie is a huge off season project. Yeah. Well, they're just like people that have off days and good days. And I would say from that, it sounds like you need to have that long, the long line on her yeah. when you're doing your tree work 24 seven. Yeah. You know, that way there's no, like every time, uh, because it's, uh, I mean, yeah, you just have to do that. I think with what you have, what you have going on, because you want it to be positive as mm-hmm. much as possible. And then when that happens, it's not. I know you're totally right. And here's what happened on that: I put out a video on Facebook of Georgie doing a really, really long retrieve, and she had her pinch collar on, and um, I had had the long lead on her, but this was before she had done this running away stuff. I had the long lead on her. I'm like, you know what? I know she's bringing it back all the time. I'm just gonna take it off her. So I took it off her, did a video, and then next thing you know, I, I put the video on Facebook and um, Barton Ramsey actually commented on the video. I was like, oh, wow, great. And he's like, just out of curiosity, why do you have a pinch collar on her while she's doing these retrieves? And I'm like, oh, man, Barton is saying I shouldn't, I must not be, should be doing that. Obviously, he's asking why I did it. I probably shouldn't do it. So the next I just went to taking the pinch collar off because he made that comment. And then she'd been so good. I'm like, okay take the lead off because and as soon as we did the two dogs where she was having to watch the retrieves it's like something something unlocked in her little brain of screw this i'm having to watch and you know no thanks i'm not gonna play that anymore so it all went downhill over the past week yeah. week and a half but once well, i even, well, well even with that long line kind of to add on to that I mean, it is a really good tool for a lot of the stuff you're going to work on later on with, like, whistle sits and all that, um, you know, and de-cheating on water. So it's, like, a good habit just to keep using it all the time. Even with the shot collar after I e-collar conditioner? Yeah, yeah, even after that. There's definitely uses for that as far as getting, like, a really good responsiveness on, on, on your whistle sits and all that. Uh-huh. So um, I don't know. I would just consider using it more. Okay. Training. Yeah. You're obviously not going to use it when you hunt, but well, I guess you could if you really had issues, but yeah, the only time I would use it on a hunt is if she wasn't steady and, um, she's doing fantastic with her setting. She's only broke one time in the past months. And that was the first day we had her and candy out together. Um, she broke once, but she's doing really, really, although she has been creeping the last couple days, especially if I don't have a thrower and I've got to throw it myself. Um, then I'll try to step away from her and she has been creeping a little bit when I throw it and you know, where they get really low and their butts almost touching the ground and they're just kind of creeping. She's been oh, doing yeah. a little bit of that creeping stuff lately. So, um, I'm really looking forward to getting her through the collar conditioning system and, and then I'm just going to go right through Freddie's videos, you know, just like you did last year. Just, in fact, his next video is, I am stuck on the one before e-collar conditioning. I'm right to it. Yep. 
because as far as remote place and being steady and, and I mean, she is killing it. I have not had any problems with her until this last week and a half where she's been doing this won't bring it back thing. So that's it. I try not to let it discourage me because I've been through dogs before. I've seen my dad's dogs. I mean, and I know that these problems will get ironed out. It's just frustrating in the moment, but I've done a pretty good job of keeping my cool for the most part. Cause you don't just want to make things really negative and just start really railing on them. And, and so I've, other than the time where I strategically disciplined her on her back, um, I've been really good about even waiting for a little bit and trying to do a couple positive things. Now I didn't, that didn't happen today, but, um, the one time when she first, um, broke and, and wouldn't come back. I had my dad and Nevin, he was throwing them for us. I had them leave and did some work just solo with her just to end it on a positive. So I'm trying, but man, it's, it's frustrating. It, it's hard to, to stay positive when they're <laughs> pissing you off like that. Yeah. Well, I think when they get to that point, it's just like, as soon as you get to having those emotions, it's like, I feel like neither you or the dog's going to have a good experience. Yeah. And that's when the training just needs to be done for the time being. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and it's good for me to constantly remind myself that like anything with her bloodlines and where we got her, I promise you that all of her siblings that are with Chris Jobin right now are not having, are not doing these things. These are a trainer problem. It's not a dog problem. Anything. Now, I mean, she's going to have her bumps along the way. Cause she's, you know, of course, but um, if, if Chris Jobman or Freddie King or, or Chris Aiken or whatever had this dog, she would be a totally different dog than when I have, cause they're professional trainers. So ultimately with these dogs, um, it's the trainer. That's the problem, not the dog. <laughs> and that's what, like when we had Barton, uh, Ramsey on, that's one of the first, you know, things that he said, he's like, you know, when you, when you deal with people and their dog, you're training the trainer, not the dog really, you know? And then it's just time and repetition once you get get it figured out. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So, uh, you know, along the same lines with me, training Chief up. Um, I mean, same thing. Like you said, we did, I did the videos last season, and it was just like night and day difference. Um, him hunting last year opposed to the year before, um, which is just, you know, crazy to say. It was like the year before was such a struggle. Um with a lot of things and this year it's like we really didn't like as far as looking at the season as a whole i mean he was um he was awesome you know definitely had some hiccups like uh him pulling the um the the blind through the decoys and all that you know but just as a whole man he was he was really really good so mm -hmm. as far as a hunting dog so now for me it's like getting i really really want to polish up all like the technical skills um and then also one kind of not technical thing which is breaking um i kind of just gave up on that just because i wanted to increase his drive um and so kind of along those lines um i really want to get him not breaking again and me and actually uh, zach better known as swamp man actually talked about it here and uh it's like if one of our dogs is breaking and the other is isn't then eventually both are going to break yeah so we both had issues with our dogs breaking at different points during the season well it doesn't help each other out so we're both kind of on the same uh mind mindset here we're both going to work on our dogs not breaking um this season so 
Um, that's kind of the first goal I got with Chief in his training. The other thing is, you know, the whistle sits and the hand signals and then um, being able to send them on long blinds, mm-hmm. um, you know, after birds or whatever. So uh, I think, you know, the, the major goal a lot of people have with their dogs is you don't really have to leave. Like anytime we had like a bird that sailed or a bird that was far enough away that was like out of sight, it was just like, well, I'm going with the dog. Yeah. I'm going to go look. Mm-hmm. And now here's the, the thought process, um, you know, get beyond that and – be able to kind of control your dog from the blind on on the the retrieve. So that's really where we want to get at. Um, you know, just because I think it's going to be a a great um, you know, I guess asset to have him at that point. And not only that, it's just uh, for me, I think that's like the maximum level. There's nothing beyond that that I'd want to learn or have my dog learn, I guess. Um, even that, you know, is like do you really need all that? I mean, you do, I guess, at some point, but not all the time. I mean, yeah. for Chief, he's really, really good at when we hunt, he sees the birds, and he goes and gets them, you know. And I think for the most part, that's all gets the job done like 90% of the time. So now it's like working on like the other 10%, which is like the really technical stuff is what I would say. So al- along those same lines, it was uh, I was really hoping to do uh, the, HR, the HRC club that I started going to um, and I'm not even sure if they call them clubs or not, but uh, they they host a uh, uh, a hunt test every year. But I don't know if that's going to get canceled now with all the stuff we got going. But I, that was going to be one of my goals was to at least start them up um, on that and get them, you know, either the started or the seasoned kind of titles from that. So, um, which. You know, Elliot, I think you really need to research and find one of those groups because just going with these groups and, and uh, you know, um, there's some older guys there that have been doing it forever, mm-hmm. um, been helping helping me out with some drills and all that when I go and train, you know, because Chief's not on the same level as a lot of the other dogs. I mean, some of these dogs are just wild. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I don't mean wild in a bad way. I mean, like, wild good. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, we got some really, really good trainers in this group and, I know that not every group is kind of the same, but I think this group is a really good group of guys um, to go train with. So I definitely think that's something you should at least look into and kind of uh, see if you – know, I think you'll just have fun with it, you know. Yeah, sure I'll probably do it that. out in your backyard. Yeah, I'll but. probably look into that after I get her force fetch and, you know, during the summertime when I want her – I want to make sure she doesn't make a fool out of me <laughs> before I go. I don't, I, you know, I mean, I don't, it's okay if she's on the lower end, but I want to make sure that she doesn't make a total ass out of me before I do it. Yeah, nah, I hear you. So, that yeah, that's my, my goal in the dog training. Cool. Yeah, that sounds, I can't wait to see the progress. You know, I was thinking about, you know, when Chief travels, he just kind of doesn't perform the way he does at home. I was thinking maybe when you go on those um, fish trips, you should take Chief with you and make sure to run some training sessions when you're camping yep. out overnight. Yeah, definitely an idea for sure. I took him. Uh, yeah, I've taken him on trips like that, but we really don't do a lot of training. Yeah. Or we just kind of do it casually. Mm-hmm. Might help. But, yeah. But kind of kind of along um, – well, I'm a little bit changing off from what you said, but, um, you know, I just want to give chief props because <laughs> on our last training session we had, or last kind of more formal one we had, um, 
I mean, he was doing crazy blinds and he was doing really good on whistle sets, everything. So it's like he's really moving along. And I don't want to say it too soon. It's like as soon as you say something like that, you have kind of a relapse, kind of like you're having with Georgie. Um, as soon as you get kind of confident in them or say something, yeah, um, they'll uh, they'll make you a liar real quick. So, um, but so far it's just this off season's going great, and I'm just really excited. Like you said, with all the training, kind of see where he's at going into next season. And if it's anything like last season, if I can keep myself on that type of regiment um, with the amount of time I'm spending with him, I think that he's going to improve leaps and bounds. Awesome! Can't wait to see. Do you got any more? I think that's pretty much it. Um, let me look back at the list. I was the only other thing I had on there is I would like to get out um, once the growth starts. You know, March. I guess it's already almost April. April, May, June, and just get to some of the spots and take a look at them. Do a little preliminary scouting as far as what kind of vegetation is starting to grow up and and those. That's the only thing I had on there, but that's minor. Gotcha. Yeah, and I, I had one more as well, and it's uh, getting the duck boat in order. Mm -hmm. And just kind of having that ready for off season, which kind of goes in with the brushing, but also got to get a motor on that and get the blind all situated. But you know, I'm pretty pretty far along with that. Maybe some things like spray painting it so it's not just bright silver. But yeah, um, you know, I think this is a good point right now. But we got uh, we actually dropped some questions or, or dropped a, a comment to get some questions um, in the Fellowship of the Duck Gun our Facebook group. And so we're going to go ahead and hit up some of those. So um, we just did it right before we went live. So we don't have a lot. I think we can hit up all of these if we're kind of brief on them, Elliot. What do you think? Let's try. Yeah, let's just try to stay brief. All righty. Um, Devin wants to know, you guys going to run your dogs through any of the field testing trials? Um, to answer that, if the group that I'm doing the HRC stuff with um, host tournament or not a tournament, a fifth. You can tell I'm 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 new to this stuff. The test and trials. Then I will um, do my best to get out to one and have some fun. But right now it looks like it's gonna be canceled. Um, mine with Georgie is I'm gonna keep pushing to see how how far I can get her in her development, and if I can get her to the point where I feel confident that I can take her to those and she will, and, and I can feel proud of the work I've done with her, then I would like to do at least one or two of them. Um, it just all depends on, I'm not going to try to take her unless I feel like she's to the level of the other dogs there. So it, it just depends on what I can do as a trainer and I'm going to work hard. So I imagine I, I, I would be disappointed in myself if I can't get her to the point where I can take her to at least some of the beginning level, lower level training, uh, um, trials. Awesome. All right. Josiah asks, best species to eat, mallard, teal, or wood duck? Go ahead and take this one, Elliot. I'll take teal or mallard. Teal first, mallard second. I haven't eaten enough wood duck to be able to, I don't know, but teal and mallard are delicious. <laughs> I would say, without a doubt, wood duck is the best tasting duck that I've ever had. <laughs> um, then beyond that, you know, I've had people say that teal doesn't taste good, which is strange to me. I've never ate a teal that doesn't tastes good and i would say till is next and then mallard but i mean anything cooked right to me is going to taste good we had um canada goose in fajitas just the other day and it was absolutely phenomenal the way my wife seasoned it and cooked it and i mean it was fantastic i can't imagine that teal or, or mallard in that same situation would have tasted any better so to me every duck that's cooked right tastes delicious 
Yeah. That's definitely a thing, but there's I think there's got to be like a clear winner. Um and it, it's I guess it's really hard to say like I said. If you prepare it and do a good good job with that, you're going to be able to make anything you you harvest um very good. Well, the thing about teal that I love is that like, you know, each half of a teal breast is a perfect size and you just cut them off and and you can just cook them right there at that size. It's, it's just so easy. Yeah. And I remember the first teal I shot and I cooked it on a skillet and put it on a better rice and it was just delicious. Yeah. So I ever, ever since then I was like, um, you know, big, big fan of teal, but there's some people out there that say teal is not a good tasting duck. Yeah. I don't know where they're living, what the teal are eating around them, but it's universally known that they are delicious. That's what I thought too. Uh, Benjamin asked if you could go anywhere outside of North American to kill ducks, where would you go and what species would you target? And uh, shout out to Ben. Um, he actually, uh, last season, a lot during off season, he's a dog trainer as well. He's giving me tips through the Instagram. So um, for me, I would say the Australian black duck, um, you know, seen some of the films put out by Ramsey Russell, which we just recently had on and just really cool and really cool um, places with all kind of the habitat they have. And Elliot, you remember talking with me about that before the podcast, but it almost looked like they're hunting in pink smart or uh, duckweed. So, yeah. Um, definitely really cool. I don't have any specific species that I would chase. I would, the, the marsh that Ramsey described, I think it was in Argentina where he's going to have his ashes scattered. Um, that place, the way he described it, sounded like one of the coolest places in the world. So if I could pick one place to go, it'd be I'd go with him and I'd go there. <laughs> awesome. All right, we got Matt Lee. What are both your guys' plans for turkey season? Um, for me, I'm hoping to get out and kill two turkeys this year. Um, I got plans to go up there in Michigan. Um, you know, I already got the base license for Michigan, so it's not much of an add-on to get the turkey as well. Um, and they open up like a week before us or like a half a week before us in Indiana and then go like four weeks after us. So they have like a really, they have like a six week long season and Indiana has like a two week long season. So I don't know what's up with that, but um, I feel like in that amount of time, I hopefully can bag a second Turkey this year um, and have some fun doing it. For me, I lost my private land um, that I, that I was able to hunt at. So that's a big minus for me, especially cause I live even closer to it now than I did last year. <clears throat> um, I got a farmer friend and, and they, and they, this place gets leased, but they were never there during the weekdays. So he let me always go there anytime I wanted during the weekday. So I lost that, but, um, there's quite a few turkeys on public run here. I, I think I'm going to put a little more effort into it, seeing how school's canceled. And I mean, I still have, I'm doing online teaching, so I still have some, um, obligations, but there's a lot more free time. But I may, I may go back with Golden Boy to his uncle's farm. And I would like to get one of my boys a turkey this year. So I, I, I do think I'm going to put in a little more effort on it this year than what I have in the past, for sure. Awesome. <clears throat> Full Choke Outdoors asks, predict how many times Jordan will get oak on his nuts this spring and summer? Five. I'm going with five. I'm going with zero. <laughs> well... You know, they say that uh, what's the what's the saying about the past predicts the future, or if you want to understand the, the future, study the past. So I'd say the over the over and under, it's probably set at two, and I'm going over. I'm taking the over. 
Do you, I think that's a fair over and under, don't you? I think I'm just like gonna like walk around and like bubble wrap or something. <laughs> you know, they get they've got that bubble wrap that comes on that little like stick where you can just like wind like wrap it around. There you go. Yep. <laughs> Have your wife help you with that one. <laughs> yeah, I'll just put it from like the knees up to my belly button. Honey, grab the tweezers. I need you to help. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, hopefully I don't get poison ivy because that's awful. The over and under is two, and I'm going over. I'm going zero. I, I got faith, man. Yeah, well, misplaced faith. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Doug asks, I live in uh, Alaska, and during the first half of our season, birds are brown with no color. Do you think it matters to run full color decoys, or do you think it will be more beneficial to just use hen decoys that are just brown. Um, so for me, I know during like till season, one of the tips um, is to use just your mallard hen decoys if you don't have till decoys um, just because the birds are brown. But I know I've also, before I started doing that, used full color decoys anyways. Um, I would say that I really feel like the color doesn't matter too much. Um, <clears throat> that's just kind of my gut feeling on it. I feel like you can get away with it, you know, um, as long as you're in the right place and you're concealed and uh, you've done your scouting. I think you're going to be fine using full-colored um, decoys for your set. Um, I could be wrong, but that's just kind of my gut feeling. I really don't feel like it matters. What do you think, Elliot? Well, it may it may depend also. I mean, the only ducks that fall in that category for us here in Kansas are teal. By the time the mallards get here, they're all colored. And by the time, you know, every every duck has a lot of colors by the time they get here other than teal. And I will say that we have used um, teal decoys that have colors on them every year until this year. And this year we moved over to the GHG teal and we got the just the fall pack or the early teal pack that are all non-colored and i can tell you that i personally very much want to match what is naturally out there it's hard to tell i i couldn't give an opinion on how much it matters but i can tell you that it matters to me i want to make my spreads look like what birds have been seen around and if the birds are brown i would prefer to have my decoys brown so but does it ultimately i think you're going to be able to shoot them no matter what but very possibly you might be able to shoot a little bit more if you have it more realistic looking. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't break the bank on spending money to try to make him brown looking. But if you have ways of making it more heavy brown, I would certainly do that. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I can follow along with that. Like if you have enough decoys where you can just pull out the hens and have a good spread still, then, you know, that's a way to do it. But it's like, I wouldn't go and spend the extra money. And it's kind of like, uh, um, Ramsey Russell was saying when we had him on, like he's gone places where they shoot birds over, you know, uh, two liter bottles mm -hmm. <coughs> and milk jugs. So it's just, you know, I just don't think they see it enough to, I guess, discern that these are colored ducks and ducks aren't colored right now. But, you know, I mean, it's, it's something I haven't had a ton of experience. So it's like, I have a small sample size and, from my limited sample size, I just I haven't seen the difference. But 
Yeah. I would be willing to bet you if you were able to do a long-term study, you would shoot more ducks with brown colors if there are brown ducks around. But I bet you that the percentage is really, really small difference. Um, you know, may, over five years, maybe you'd shoot 10 more ducks. That just as an example, you know, to where you're talking, oh, two more ducks a year or something. Um, that would be my guess is that it would show out that it does matter, but it's not significant enough to really invest the money to worry about. That'd be my guess. All righty. Mitch asks, we welcomed our first daughter into the world about three weeks ago. Congratulations. Um, how do you go about being a great husband, fantastic father, and still find time to get into the marsh? Thanks in advance. You should have been worrying about that before you married your wife. <laughs> the answer is you don't wait till now to worry about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I, I definitely can um, relate to this question, though. Uh, my kids, two years old now. We've had two years for it. Um, I'd say one thing, and, you know, it, it's definitely harder the younger they are, but, you know, making your kid as much of a part of it as you can um, is definitely a great idea. And, I mean, it's just, I guess, you know, it kind of goes back to those brownie points and, and everything. you got to make sure you're um, crossing your T's and dotting your I's um, any time that you have that you're not in the marsh hunting, you know, you, you got to make sure you're um, doing your best to make everything else a priority during that time. And, you know, don't wear yourself out so that you're worthless <coughs> um, anytime you're not hunting. Um, I, I think that'd be kind of my, my word of advice on that. Well, every relationship between a husband and a wife has its own set of rules and um, it's defined by the couple. So, you see some couples where um, the women are really, really hard on the guys about hunting, and then you see other couples where the women are really, really easy on the men about hunting. And, and it's not just hunting. It's about everything. It's about who does the dishes and who does the floors and um, who cooks. Every It's all a negotiated agreement, and, and these types of agreements um, are much better to be discussed eye to eye than just to hope that they occur. So... Um, everything Jordan says is great advice. I would sit your wife down and by this time, hopefully she understands how important it is to you and talk to her about it and say, you know, I want to do everything I can to support you and this baby and you and this baby come first. At the same time, it's going to really mean a lot to me if I can still get out because, you know, that's where I take a breath in life and I'm going to be a better husband and a better father. I'm assuming that's true because it's true with most of us. Um, if I get some time to myself, what can we do to make that happen? And then, like Jordan said, when you are around the house um, and you are present and you are there, then you are actively being a part of it, actively helping your wife out. The last thing that a wife wants is a husband that's not really being active in a newborn baby's life than to go hunting on top of it. And just because women will start feeling like, you know, you're just a chauvinist and you know, obviously it's all my job and you're not even doing your part when you're here. Do everything that you can to, and this, this should be regardless of whether you're trying to hunt or not. You need to be a full partner to your wife in the raising of your child and changing diapers and doing feedings and, and, and really be um, an attentive and an active father and a, and a husband. 
And if you do that and you sit down with your wife and, and, and talk to her, hopefully you can have a negotiation in which she fully understands you and understands um, your desires as well. And then you can come out to some type of agreement. But the first couple of months or the first couple of years of that baby's life, from what I've seen with other hunters, you may need to subtract a few dates out of the year when you're talking about a newborn um, within the first year. You, you may have to do that. That may be part of the negotiation. You know, little babies are hard and they take a lot of time. Definitely uh, very well said. All right. Brian asks, what are you both doing as far as training goes for your dog? They both are at different skill levels, so it would be interesting to see what you're doing. I think we hit that um, one. Yeah, we did hit hit that one. Um, but to kind of reiterate on it, TRT, uh, the trainingretriever.com, we've both um, been watching the videos by Freddie King. Big help on those, and also I'm doing some HRC stuff. Um, I think the big differences are, um, Elliot's just, a, honestly, he's not that far behind where I'm at with Chief, just because I didn't start doing it till last season, um, and I had a lot of bad habits to recorrect. So um, that's kind of where we're at on that. Yep. TheRetrieverTrainer.com, um, it's a $60 a year. I would advise you, if, if you're training to, to get onto that site and you will have full access to Freddie King himself and you will be a part of the private Facebook group. And anytime that you have any questions or help, they will help you there. And I'm going through those videos step-by-step. Step. Also there's DVDs by Chris Aiken that are phenomenal. So anyway, like I said before, I'm right on e-collar conditioning and then force fetch. And I, I need to, I lost my whistle. I've been really meaning to the last two weeks. I'm behind on whistle to sit. I, I have really dropped the ball on that. I, I should have already been Elliot, doing it. Whistles, whistles cost like $2. I don't want that kind with a little ball in it. I hate those kinds. <laughs> and I had one, and you I lost it. You need to buy like five of them. You need to buy as many as you lost of right-handed gloves. Yeah, well, I found all those gloves. <laughs> <laughs> I did. One this season, I always take off my right-handed glove to do whatever out hunting, and I had like five pairs of gloves, and I only had five gloves, and they're all left-handed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right, Walter asked, um, how did the trolling mount work out on the Ascend H12? Thinking about buying that, but curious as, as to how well it worked out steering back. That is a good question, and um, if you watch my videos on it, I never gave a full review of it. And here's the deal with those motors. If I will use those for sure, um, but it's only it's very situational. If you have any kind of shallow water and vegetation, those motors just do not work. Um, in fact, in one of the last videos that I used it, I showed it in there and um, I actually had to go back to the vehicle and take those back because the pools were about two feet deep with vegetation and it just, it didn't work. It didn't work. But there are multiple places like, you know, where we canoed in on the Flyways Collective, Jordan, yeah. um, on those channels where there's no vegetation. Anytime I'm doing yep. a long paddle over where it's it's not vegetation getting in the way, I can promise you I will be using those trolling motors and that mount. That mount is a fantastically designed system. It pops right on, pops right out. Um, and I guess I should preface that for those of you who didn't see the videos. I've got a, a Send Kayak H12, and you can and I've got um, these mounts and that allow a trolling motor to attach to it. And it's, it's a good system and it will be used anytime that I am in, on long paddles in water that doesn't have vegetation that's going to be getting in the prop. 
So if you are in those situations and you want to get one, I would advise you to do so. The steering does take a little bit of time. The shaft on it is a little bit long. And so the steering is a little bit of an adjustment, but I think the next ones they're coming out with, they're going to shorten the shaft on it, which is something that they definitely need to do. But it's a good product. And if you if you paddle um, any half mile, three quarters mile, mile in water where there's no vegetation, uh, get it. I'll, I will be using it for those situations for sure. All righty. Luke asks, is scouting in March when the birds are on the way back worth it? Do those birds use the same spots on the way down in the fall. Um, um, you want me to go first? I, I've got a, definitely have an opinion on this. Um, I, I'll have a short answer on it, and then I, I can tell you got a good long answer. Okay, so. go for it. I'll just give my, go for it. I'll give my short okay. answer real quick. Um, you know, I would say that it's not 100%. Um, it's some of it. You know, they call it uh, imprinting when a bird kind of is using the same location. Um, and I, I know people even do as far as, like, um, private places, putting out corn, feeding them, all that, trying to imprint the spot um, and have them come back. Um, so I don't know. I really don't. I, I think it, it definitely doesn't hurt to go and scout places. But as far as the birds being in the same locations from time to time, it does depend on the food source and all that. And that's definitely going to be different in the fall. So, um, you know, it doesn't, I, I think it doesn't hurt. It's always probably better to scout than not scout. Um, even in March, but I don't think it's 100% correlation. I like to scout during that time because I like getting in the marsh, and I like being in the marsh by myself, and I like seeing ducks. Um, but I can tell you certainly blue-winged teal are in places in the spring that I wish that they were in in the fall, and they're not. And I've seen it consistently um, over the last seven, eight years in some of these places where I'm like, dang it, they're always here in the spring, these blue-winged teal. But I, I want them. I want them to be in these places in the fall, in September, and they're not. So I can certainly tell you that blue winged teal um, don't ever go and say, "Oh man, I see that's always blue winged teal in March." So I'm going to make that my number one target in September. I wouldn't do that. But you know, if you, I'm, I'm looking for what kind of vegetation's growing. But more than anything else, I'm daydreaming about duck hunting when I'm out there and in March to be seeing ducks and to be daydreaming about, okay, where would I set up? How would I go about that? What vegetation's growing here? What are they feeding on? You are never going to regret it. If you get out and do that, you're never going to regret it. Awesome. All right. David asks top 10 secret duck hunting States. I, I can't answer that. I only I've only 103 states, and none of them are a secret. <laughs> I'm gonna say like the biggest secret mecca of duck hunting is in Nebraska with high prairie sportsmen. <laughs> what I keep hearing is in New Mexico, in New Mexico on the um, what Rio Grande River. We've heard yeah, three different no, people talk that. about that place and what a secret gem it is. Yep. Yeah. No, I, I think you're right. I, I don't have a top ten for sure. I, like you said, we have we haven't hunted enough states to know that. Most people are are not privileged enough to hunt ten states to start with. Yeah. Um. So, you know, in their whole life, um, I would say. Yeah, that that's a that's a tough question, for sure. Um, 
you know, definitely, it's definitely got to be Nebraska. So we'll go with that, the number one. I hear the plains of Colorado. <laughs> when you cross the border from Kansas into Colorado, there's plains before you hit the mountains. And from the border of Kansas until the foothills of the mountains, I, my understanding, it's really good out there. I know that um, Josh from Outdoor Limits a couple of years ago went out there a few times. And you do not hear about that area talked about very much. And so I, I bet that would fall in that category. All right. Kyle asks, any major plans for travel this upcoming season? Um, for me, I, I would say we're definitely getting together. We're, we're still hashing it up. But Flywish Collective, that's always going to be on the top of our all of our list probably for travel plan, getting together with the guys and making some cool content. So that and then um, I'm really, really looking forward to doing the Chasing the Opener series last year. Uh, I got to say that especially like the central zone of Michigan, um, that first one I did was one of my favorite series I've ever put together. So um, I'm really looking forward to that again. So I would say that's that's the majority of my travel plans as far as, you know, um, a lot of times I go out to Kansas too to hunt with Elliot. So we'll see if he, if he can stomach inviting me again or not. But I hope so. I hope you make it out here for sure. That's and I'm I'm hoping we can get in a, a trip with Phil Conkey, which I should probably talk to him about it before I talk about it publicly. <laughs> <laughs> but I would love to go up in in either Nebraska or South Dakota with him. Um, September and October, we always at least three to five times travel out to Central Kansas and camp, and those are the yeah. some of the best times of my life. So with that, will certainly be taking yeah. place again as well. And. That's probably about it. Um, yeah, on the flyways trip, we're, we're going to meet here real soon as a, the flyways guys and kind of hash out what we want to do on that. Yep. Yeah. I'll tell you what, though, man. Um, for sure, having, like, trips and, like, weekend kind of, se- like, series of hunts kind of being, like, a timeline, mm-hmm. those are definitely my uh, my favorite things to film and put together mm-hmm. for YouTube and all that. So, yeah. Um, you know. That's got me excited for next year. Yeah, I think the first time I really did that was on my Arkansas trip where I did a travel video and then the three days there and kind of put them together. And I, I did enjoy that um, as well. I'd never really done yeah. that before that trip. Yeah. Yeah, my uh, my vlog series too for the, the Kansas Till, I enjoyed that mm-hmm. that video as well. It, se- it seems weird to say I enjoyed my own video, but I mean, it's like you said, we do make them for ourselves mm-hmm. kind of like almost like a journal yep. um, <laughs> That's right. of it. And, you know, just it gives almost like a different perspective too than just like uh, the Elliot and Golden Boy and myself like that we see in the hunts, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and then we have the kind of story we put together, um, you know. And, uh, yeah, Ben and Fumble were, was, was there as well. So, but, yeah. Anyways, I think that finishes up the question. So, um great podcast tonight elliot yeah i really enjoyed it i really really enjoyed it It was fun yeah that was a fun one so we've been uh having a long line of guests on and we definitely got some more exciting ones coming up um so it's definitely nice to you know get a little uh uh podcast here kind of back to our roots doing you know talking through some goals and doing some q a with our listeners so uh, but yeah, I think this is a great time to go ahead and wrap it up. You got anything else to add on Elliot? I don't think so. I appreciate everyone tuning in and make sure and go over on iTunes and give us a, a good review. Um, that would be very welcomed.
Yep. If you guys are uh, getting that duck depression, you know, and you haven't had a chance, go check our backlog of last season. Um, we put out a lot of videos of our hunts all season long. So, anyways, I'm Jordan from Duck Gun Chronicles, Elliot from Freelance Duck Hunting, and we'll see you guys on the next one.